0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, better known as PC Nerd 37 This is episode 30, and, I have co- and of course, I am, as always, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley?
1: Things are going great. Uh, nice vacation that I had last week, and now I'm in the mood to actually get back to work.
0: Yeah, the podcast took a little bit of a vacation last week, too, when I knew that you were going to be... I was thinking about doing either a solo show or bringing on somebody else, maybe somebody from one of the sites I work with, mainly TechV, but things just didn't quite work out that way. I had a little, as far as as I know, it was like a little bout of E. coli poisoning or whatever last week, which, thank goodness I'm finally over, but anyway, between that and several other things that happened, it just didn't quite work out. But anyway, we are back this week, so uh, how was the trip?
1: Trip was good. Trip was good. Um, very, very disorganized. Um, we originally planned on uh, trying to take a day trip to Vancouver, and that didn't ha- happen. Uh, but I did go to the Sci Fi Museum, and that was pretty awesome. Um, I, 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 it's, it's pretty new, apparently. And uh, Paul Allen is probably, I think, the principal uh, investor in getting it out there. I heard a lot of the stuff came from his personal collection.
0: I guess maybe I should hurry up and go see it before another one of his projects goes bust.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're asking for donations for membership, so uh, I bet they're hurting for money a little bit.
0: yeah, something like that would be awesome for me because i'm I always like going to sci-fi conventions and stuff like that would that would be a lot of fun.
1: It was a lot of fun. The only drawback is that they don't allow any photography. Um, so I'm not sure if it's because they think it might damage the work or disturb the other people uh, who are looking at exhibits. Or my guess is they just want to preserve the mystique of the museum and have people come to see it instead of posting pictures of it on the internet.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I actually heard uh, they were talking about that. I think yesterday or on when they were recording Twit because uh, Leo Leo's gone to China and it was Tom Merritt that was hosting. And they were talking a bit about that, or I believe that's where I heard it from. Maybe it was one of the other podcasts. But I'm pretty sure that was it yesterday, where I guess there's a lot of pictures in of works and stuff in museum, in museums. Well, apparently, even though the um, like paintings and stuff are are well, I don't remember what they're considered, but as to where anybody can view them or whatever, they're like. Uh, it's not, Creative Commons isn't the public domain, that's what I want to say and right. apparently people that are taking pictures of them which most museums apparently don't allow you to do that anyway but occasionally when they get these people in take pictures and stuff well the people that take the pictures are getting angry because they're when somebody else distributes or takes their photo or whatever they're considering that copyright infringement even though the photo that they took something of was public domain which mm. being pictures that are, or paintings that have been around for hundreds of years. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know what that, if that maybe has something to do with it or what, but it, it's just a real screwed up deal. As far as I'm concerned, as long as, like, the flash or something doesn't damage whatever it is, I see no problem with taking a picture of something.
1: Yeah, there are a ton of pictures of the Eiffel Tower and like the, um, the Empire State Building and all these monuments, but people still want to go to it. And I think uh, sharing or allowing people to share their experience of what they saw and what they did um, actually is free advertising and encourages more people to go rather than people um, saying that, um, that I, have, I have to see it to believe it kind of thing. It's just like, well, I don't think you described it properly or there's not something that I want to see in detail. Yeah, I, I I think it hurts more than it helps in their case.
0: Yeah, I think it's completely idiotic. I mean, if if you got all upset about people taking pictures of the Mona Lisa and the people who were able were allowed to take pictures got upset because they were people were using violating their copyright of the picture or whatever, then nobody would know what the Mona Lisa looks like, and mm-hmm. they'd have no reason to want to go to the Louvre to check it out.
1: Right, and, and you know, with the science, the, the science uh, fiction museum, a lot of the stuff have has been on film and television already. <laughs> yeah. So I could have come up with my own compilation and saying this is all the stuff that I saw, um, and go through the work, but I mean th- that would be doing them a favor, and I'm not going to go through that kind of work.
0: Yeah, it it it's just one of those screwed up deals where people don't seem to use their head at all. But speaking of the stupid things where people don't seem to use their head. Let's go ahead and get right into our first story. <laughs> Apparently, Google has decided that it's going to have its own Chrome OS for netbooks.
1: <laughs> I guess that uh, from the lead-in, I'm guessing you're, you're totally against this.
0: This, is com- this could be the most idiotic thing I've heard. And... Well, I was going to say it's the most idiotic thing I've heard all month, but then again, I read a story this this afternoon on Slashdot where Wells Fargo is suing itself so I guess it's not quite <laughs> that far but um, anyway, this makes absolutely no sense, especially considering the fact that most of the netbook manufacturers are already, already have Android versions of the netbooks in the works, so it kind of doesn't make any sense to have another operating system coming from Google that's specifically for netbooks and not phones and netbooks and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and the thing is this is apparently a new windowing system built on top of Linux that's made to basically run Chrome and from the sounds of it nothing else so any any apps you want they have to be web apps
1: yeah and um, let me just go through the uh, partner list Uh, just so I can just get that out of the way. So currently, it says the partners are Acer, Adobe, Asus, Freescale, Hewlett-Packard, Lenovo, Qualcomm, Texas Instruments, and Toshiba. Um, The reason why I mentioned that is because we have to look at the context of what this operating system is and what we've seen in the past and what this reminds me of. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is um, QuickBook, li- the quick, quick Boot Linuxes that are on some motherboards and laptops, uh, namely Splashtop. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like exactly like Splashtop. And of course, if you look at some of the partners, you don't see Intel or AMD, but you do see Qualcomm and Texas Instruments, which means that it's probably going to be ARM-based for the most part.
0: Well, they say it's supposed to work for both x86 and ARM processors.
1: Right. I'm guessing it's going to be ARM optimized and uh, and X86 is going to be powerful enough that they'll just uh, do a sloppy port of it, uh, but optimized for ARM. Uh, else, Why else would they have to work closely with Qualcomm and uh, Toshiba unless they need specific, like, cache requirements and registry requirements? And, you know, it's just some hardware acceleration that um, that, that, you know, make sure that Flash works the way it's supposed to and stuff
0: like that. Yeah. Well, one of my other issues with this is, if it's going to be based on Linux, why? And you're just pretty much running the browser. Why are you creating a whole separate windowing system for this instead of using the X Windows or whatever that y- Linux has used for many years? As to where yeah, you're...
1: why will it, why take a year to get this done either?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're they're essentially saying that um all applications that would run under Linux basically if they don't run under the command line which even then I still don't know but if they don't run under the command line they're probably not gonna work so you won't be able to do anything like put Firefox on it you won't be able to put like Skype on it or anything like that and which it makes no sense because I mean there's people have been putting Linux on netbooks ever since before Windows was on netbooks, and we're talking about when the first EPC came out, it was a Linux-based machine. And time and time again, we've seen the Linux-based netbooks continuously fail in favor of XP or whatever version of Windows people put on it, and some some people even put Mac OS X on it. But why they would want to... And that's largely due to the fact that the Linux stuff is stripped down meant to be a true netbook and not just a small computer so why they're trying to do this themselves and think that they're going to do better than any of the Linux distributions, I don't even get that
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that the, their play here is not necessarily um, for netbooks as we know it um, it actually sounds like a, initial proposals of what uh, netbooks should have been in the beginning uh, just terminals to web browsers um, I and looking at the the arm chip, sp- especially, it's probably going to be the range of uh, a small mid, mm-hmm. uh, or um, uh, if it's going to be close to like a laptop form factor with a keyboard and a screen, um, it's probably going to be ultra cheap. I'm guessing one fifty to two hundred dollars.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, I I since the operating system and stuff is going to be free and everything, I, I would assume that these are going to be aimed at the really low-end netbooks that are going to have the tiny hard drives and everything where it, it's basically going to be built around Google Online Services more than anything.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a couch computer to, to, to surf while you're um, uh, on the, you know, when you're watching your TV show, but on the go I can see this is A kid's computer, you know, like elementary, uh, middle school ish. Um, I don't think anybody who's worth their salt uh, would just depend on just the web browser, uh, unless it's you know a finite amount of time which someone's gone. But if there's a vacation that's going to span multiple days, I'm not sure if this will cut it. I mean, even uh, my trip, uh, I wanted to check my email. Of course, you can do that over the web, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I also wanted to play a couple games. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to uh, use Skype, and uh, I had some pictures that I needed. I I took that I, I wanted to edit, and um, of course, I wanted to take some of my music collection. Uh, granted, some of that stuff you can do over the web, but it's it's not self contained, and of course, a device like this is going to be useless on an airplane.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and the whole pur- and the very large purpose of netbooks is to make them easy for travel and this isn't really making them easy for travel unless you have, you work with, like, a Verizon or somebody and have a built-in data connection or something like that. And even then, you still can't use it on planes.
1: Yeah, if you can hackintosh it uh, <laughs> and, and be able to put whatever you want on it, I see them being very popular as a tinkering platform, uh, maybe a modder's dream. But, um, and maybe to the general public who are like grandmas who are out there, like my mother would probably like something like this that doesn't know how to do anything else and doesn't want to mess up anything else and doesn't want to have to worry about viruses. This might be good for those people who are just getting on the internet um, because that's all you can do and they don't have to worry about registry files and all that stuff. But um, any advanced user, I, I, I couldn't see myself using this unless I was... You know, just playing with it like a kiosk.
0: Yeah, I I see pretty much no real purpose in something like this, and I certainly don't think it'll gain any major momentum at all. I mean, we still have another year or more till we see this, so who knows? I mean, there have been screenshots floating around, but they've been proven to be faked. So, but I this wouldn't I seriously doubt this would be something I would even try on a dual boot.
1: So. The only good thing that I see is that Google's Google's putting their um, their their resources behind it, and hopefully there are some things that you know. There's some things that that Google does well, and it will be open sourced. So hopefully, uh, some of the work that's coming out of this will uh, reinvigorate Ubuntu and some of the other Linux distributions if they can absorb some of the uh some of some of the uh, uh, advances that are made on on, on this effort
0: yeah I, I think this is just kind of a like a shot for shot between microsoft and google I and mean, ever since microsoft launched bing i don't remember if it was larry or sergey that got all freaked out about it and are working to improve google in whatever way that they can So this is basically Google's coming back and say, well, we're going to make an operating system to scare Microsoft. That's just kind of the way I see it.
1: Yeah, well, competition's good. Uh, Everybody needs a fire lit under them every once in a while to make sure that they're doing their jobs, and um, this will make make Google better, and this will make Microsoft better, and even Apple better. Um, And I guess we're going to have to wait a whole year to even take a glimpse to see if it was a waste of time or something that's, you know, worth their salt.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm curious to see how it turns out. A lot of the... What is it? The 20% projects or whatever at Google, like Gmail and stuff, have turned out to be great. So... I'm Yeah,
1: Gmail's out of beta.
0: Woohoo. Yeah, it's about time. It's only been how many years that that's been in beta? Uh,
1: forever, I think.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, pretty much. But, yeah, I, I was amazed when I saw that. But... Speaking of more idiotic things, this one's coming from yeah,
1: so yeah, someone else a little scared of competition.
0: Yeah, this one's coming out of Amazon. Apparently, they've changed around their uh, API, terms of service, or whatever, so that apps like the Delicious Library on the iPhone can't use the um, product information that they have available in their own apps.
1: Yeah, it's, over the years, Amazon has become the CDDB of product information. Uh, applications just use that to query products and get more information. Mm-hmm. Um, I know earlier this year, Best Buy opened up their API. Um, so maybe that would be uh, an alternative for uh, other users. But I know that their product library is nowhere near what Amazon is.
0: Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised when I saw this. I mean, I, I would think if anything, you don't want to kill it entirely. Just say that if you're going to use our information, like for somebody to do a, like a informa- some kind of a product lookup for information or whatever, then just make sure you have a link back to the product on Amazon so th- that they get a, a good shot of trying to sell that product, rather than mm-hmm. if you try and use our information you, for something you're not allowed to.
1: Right. And all, all these APIs have API keys, so you know who's using the service and how often. Uh, maybe even do a tiered service saying uh, your customers can only, uh, only send this many queries a month. And if you go over that, then you're going to have to pay for some of our bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this is just mostly a protectionism play. Uh, Amazon is now in the device uh, market with uh, their iPhone Kindle app and the Kindle and the Kindle DX, of course. I mean, and the Kindle too. Mm-hmm. So they, they're, I think they're getting into the, portal, the portable devices. And of course, that patent came out about how to do advertisement on digital ebooks, um, that came out uh, not too long ago. So I think that th- that in conjunction with this. Means that they're uh, becoming they're 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 walling up their garden and there could be more protectionism.
0: Yeah, well, the whole uh, patent for putting ads and ebooks thing really annoys me. And if I get it for a cheaper price, fine. Which and and of course I do own a Kindle too, just so everybody remembers that. But I the the screen size on the Kindle two is small enough anyway that you don't want any more real estate being taken up by ads when you've already got a small enough one to try and fit everything you can on a page anyway. If it's on a Kindle DX, it probably doesn't matter as much because the screen's like the size of the entire Kindle 2. But on something like the Kindle 2, it's just a horrible idea.
1: Yeah. um, And this move with them and they're closing their API key... um, they're going to see some backlash, especially if they're putting people out of business. But this this is something to take note of and should be a lesson to anyone who has a business model that is based on third-party APIs. Uh, they can change their license term at any time. Uh, they could uh, change and deprecate any functions that they want in the API. Um, so people who have business models based off Twitter, Facebook, Amazon anything that they, they could be this could happen to anyone
0: yeah that, that that's one of the things i've always been careful with when i'm making applications and stuff is i don't want to rely on some third party service unless i absolutely have to i mean if i make more money making like a twitter app or something like that i'm i'm more likely to you know, use their apis and whatever but if i don't have to then I'm not going to want to use somebody's APIs just because of this.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, 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 there might be a workaround. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some, uh, maybe a third party API that scrapes their website and is housed somewhere else. Um, or hopefully, like I said before, maybe Best Buy will pick up the slack. This could be an opportunity um, for another. Uh, business shop to, to uh, pimp their brand and get more of their information out there.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. This could be a big opportunity for anybody else, but I, this is certainly a boneheaded move from Amazon.
1: Yeah, but uh, a smart move would be to buy Netflix, though. That would be really smart.
0: Yeah, judging from the stock prices of both Amazon and Netflix, apparently there's talk about, or there's a rumor going around that Amazon could be buying Netflix, which I think would probably be the best possible thing that they could do right now.
1: Yeah, I think with their efficiently their efficiency in shipping uh, for DVDs, even though that may not last too long, and their availability, uh, and Amazon's availability of the newest titles uh, for streaming, um... I I think combined, it will be a super powerhouse and they could leverage each other nicely.
0: Yeah, it would certainly be a big boost to Amazon because right now they have a lot of stuff that you can stream, especially newer stuff. And there was a movie not too long ago that they kind of made a big deal out of or the producers of the movie and stuff did. And that movie being The Mm -hmm. Girlfriend Experience, that the same time it was released in theaters the same day they were also released it for streaming on Amazon which is kind of the first time that's they've that that's ever really happened because before movie studios have, our, have always been wary of doing that because they think it might eat into the movie sales and stuff like that but I don't know if they can get more titles for their sh- streaming service because Netflix largely streams older stuff I think that could be a great benefit to them and I would you know, certainly we should, make him an even bigger competitor to iTunes.
1: Yes, Apple should be extremely scared about this, because you have to look at everything that Amazon already has. They already have a, a device, like think of a like a, a a color Kindle that has a OLED screen, mm-hmm. um, and they have that Whispernet service. Uh, is that Sprint or Verizon? Uh,
0: Sprint. That believe Sprint.
1: So they have the Whispernet service. So. Through that, they can stream movies to this device, this iPod killer. Uh, They can stream uh, music because they have the mp3 store. Uh, Or purchase music and download it. And you also have to look that they have audible also. Mm -hmm. And they have digital books. They have all kinds of entertaining content uh, for all demographics. So uh, it wouldn't be a kid's device, it wouldn't be a grown-up's device. It would it would range and touch every uh, demographic out there.
0: Yeah, this could be the best thing that they could do to compete with Apple and their iTunes. And this, I'm sure, would probably be bad news for Blockbuster, but if Blockbuster makes it the next year, into the next decade, I will be completely and totally amazed anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're struggling. They're very strong They're struggling very hard. Um, they should buy Netflix.
0: Well, from what I've heard, well, they don't have the cash for it. Because so if I remember right, Circuit City was looking to purchase them before Circuit City went under, and I think they were looking to purchase Blockbuster for a billion, I think, or something like that, which seems like a fairly low amount. So, but yeah, I have, I'm sure. From what I'm hearing, Blockbuster probably. I would be surprised if they're around by the end of the year.
1: Yeah. Blockbusters should just buy Redbox and, and just close all their stores.
0: Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if to see Netflix buy them just to buy out whatever inventory they have, maybe. But as far as if this deal was to go through, there would be one bad thing about this. What? What Amazon's been struggling with lately is a lot of states are wanting to tax the sales on the internet, specifically Amazon, because everybody's going to Amazon to purchase their stuff. Well, mm. Amazon doesn't have a presence in any of the major states that they've been having issues with, like New York and what was the other one, like Vermont or something like that, and they mm. their primary presence, everything comes out of Seattle. Well, Netflix has shipping centers and I think, like, 50 different cities or something like that, that would technically give Am- Amazon a presence in all the different states, and then they could start to be taxed on the sales and stuff.
1: Good point. That's scary to think of.
0: Yeah, that. Well, that, that's kind of been the big thing for the past couple of weeks, is all these, the, there's a couple, three, four states or whatever that are wanting to, start taxing them, and they're saying that the affiliates that Amazon has in those states technically gives them a presence in those states, so Amazon's just been cutting off the, any um, contact they have with their affiliates, so that way they don't have to be taxed. But if they move all, if they buy Netflix and all their Netflix, and if they have Netflix centers in the state, then they can get taxed.
1: Yeah, unless they buy the uh, the bulk of the rights in the business, and spin off the actual DVD rental portion to keep the streaming portion in house, and, and move that into Amazon, and uh, spin off the DVD rental portion to another company, or just close that business altogether.
0: Yeah, I think that's gotta be about their only option if this was to go through. I think it's a great deal, but they gotta be real careful about that.
1: Yeah. Well, we all, as in states, need money.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of being careful, apparently now we have to be even more careful with our social security numbers because there's a new algorithm that can guess them.
1: Yeah, and if you're an oldie like me, there's less of, less uh, for you to worry about.
0: Yeah, this is kind of surprising. This has come from a couple of researchers. They've determined an algorithm to, with some accuracy of guessing a person's social security number based on the date that they were born and the state that they were born in.
1: Apparently, the first three digits of a social security number is uh directly tied to the state that you're born in, and the two digits in the middle uh, is called something like a group number um, and the last four uh were randomly assigned and those are the hardest part to guess yeah um, but they, they were able to come up with an algorithm to uh through social networking like facebook and Uh, Myspace, uh, find out where someone was born, their age, and then put it into this computer and it figures out the probability of uh, what their number is. And apparently the way things are set up uh, the credit card agencies that verify uh, social security numbers or or information Mm -hmm. um, they allow a certain amount of retries. I think they said 10?
0: I think so, yeah.
1: Yeah, 10 retries before they blacklist an IP address, and also m- most of the forms were allow for up to two digits of inaccuracy, so that also um, penetrates that the that security measure also.
0: Yeah. So in small, so in larger states, it's harder to uh, guess a person's social security number. But if you get somewhere like Delaware, they're getting like a five percent success rate at guessing people's social security numbers, and which
1: right, and then. In- they said if you have a botnet uh, of like a moderately sized botnet, about ten thousand or so, uh, that number jumps up to ninety percent in those smaller states.
0: Yeah, it it's some scary stuff. I mean, when they designed the social security system or social security number system, it wasn't it was a way to for the government to identify people, but it was never meant for the private sector to use it for doing things like credit scores. Or a lot of times you have to have like a credit check where you have to give your social security number when you get a cell phone and whatever, and this has just kind of become the de facto way of identifying people. And now it looks like it could a whole lot more easily come back to bite them.
1: Right. Or I wonder. Well, this is done by what university? Uh... This is Carnegie Mellon.
0: Yeah, Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon.
1: Yeah, I wonder who they're funded by. I know for the longest time there's been a, a push for a national ID. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hope this study wasn't funded by the government to help uh, do a lot of put a lot of uh, fud around the social security system.
0: Yeah, well, I, I've always, I've never I never looked too much into the whole national ID thing, but when you compare it to something like this, I I would be all for it.
1: Oh, then it's working.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've never been a big fan of the whole social security number thing and everything anyway, so... Then again, I I don't use it that often, so...
1: Well, my advice is to get LifeLock or something. Um, At this rate, everyone's going to get their identity stolen at some point in their life. Might as well just get that insurance now.
0: Yeah, I believe there was some study or something that said that eventually, at one point, everybody's going to get their um, identity stolen.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about it. When you hand over your credit card over to any person in a restaurant, you don't know what they're doing in the back. Um, yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot of information that's flowing through computers uh, that regular people have access to that you don't. Uh, it, it, it's going to happen. It's just too easy for someone not to try it.
0: Yeah, It. it it's... A broken system that needs to be fixed, but definitely, yeah. Well, speaking of broken systems that need to be fixed, it's time for our copyright segment of the show that we seem to constantly talk about.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, not just yet.
0: We have a oh, um,
1: textbooks. We have textbooks.
0: Oh, shoot, I didn't open that link. I don't think. Uh oh, yep. I didn't open that link. I must have jumped right over that when I was clicking through.
1: Yeah, textbooks aren't as sexy as copyright infringement, but still, I think this is a very cool service. Yeah. Uh, this is called uh, Chegg.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it stands for it is, Chicken and the
1: Egg. Yeah, Chicken and the Egg. And speaking of, we we talked about Netflix earlier. Uh, this is going to be in the Netflix for textbooks
0: yeah I was, this is was a really cool concept when I came across it in the New York Times because I do subscribe to the New York, New York Times um, but when I came across it I was kind of s- surprised this is basically where there's this company called Chegg or... is it Chegg or, yeah and it used to be called Chegg Post where instead of you having to worry about buying books from a college bookstore trying to return them at the end of a semester for pennies on the dollar or trying to sell it yourself which at the end of a semester nobody really there's no real demand for books compared to the start of one well this way with this system you don't have to worry about trying to sell it back you're just renting the book and you're doing it at a far cheaper price than what you'd be buying the book for
1: yes and um also if you have books that the the bookstore may not buy back, they do buy books too. Um, I did with my – I bought a used book for a class I'm taking statistics, and that book was brand new, $150, and I bought it used for $104 at the bookstore. Mm -hmm. Um, I checked their website, and they said that for a semester term rental, um, I could get that same book for $45.
0: Yeah, for college people, this is certainly a way to save a lot of money. And I don't know about you, but when, for I would say ninety-nine percent of my college, for any class I've ever had, the the books that I get, that I usually end up keeping because I never bother to go and sell them back because you don't make hardly any off anything off of it. I never so much as look at the book again, or to less open it.
1: Yeah, and and oh, also a good thing is so the same book that I bought uh, at the bookstore, I can sell it directly to Chegg and they tell me the the price of it and I can either get cash back or I can use the money as store credit mm-hmm. so I can get more books next semester so um, it's a nice little system they got there and uh, apparently it's doing fairly well um, they've cleared uh, 10 million dollars within their first month this year
0: yeah that's an impressive little thing like for uh Looks like there's a macroeconomics book that retails for $122, which you can rent it for $65. Or even there's an organic chemistry book that article mentions that is $123, but you can rent it for $33. And, of course, there's a $4 shipping fee back and forth for the book. But, really, that's not a whole lot when you consider how much you're saving. The only thing I'm I'm not too sure of, though is what their policy is in terms of making notes in books. Because I know a lot of people like to do highlights and make notes and stuff in their books. I'm, I'm kind of curious to know yeah. what that policy is.
1: I, I, I wonder what that is, too. Also, torn pages or spilt uh, sodas or coffee on books. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they, if they would take them back or... Uh, I mean, I personally I wouldn't mind it if I had a book that was uh, highlighted or anything. As long as I can still read the text, I'd be fine with it. Uh, but I wonder also for some books that come with CDs or DVDs in the back,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I wonder how much it, how with they how if they frown on um, like recordable CDs being replaced for that or, or stuff like that.
0: Yeah, well, I'm kind of curious to maybe try out this system myself. It seems like a great company, great idea, and I wish them all the best. Yeah, me too. Uh,
1: We need more of these, and hopefully through uh, volume, the prices will get even cheaper.
0: Yeah. Well, one can hope. You always get those idiot textbook companies that bring out a new edition every year, and makes the price kind of hard to drop that way, but anyway, now on to the copyright infringement section of the show. So, yes. Um, apparently, there was a man who his peer-to-peer collection costed him a 33,000 euro fine, which is around $46,200, as well as a two-month suspended jail sentence. And they weren't even looking for his peer-to-peer collection.
1: Right. They were looking for some other type of fraud, but when the police uh inspected their his computer they found uh 12,591 music tracks 426 movies and 16 full tv series um that were downloaded onto his computers apparently from uh from BitTorrent sites and email
0: yeah well supposedly he and this this was a guy a 55 year old man in france but apparently he ...got all this stuff within the past year or so. Which, I'm... The fact that he didn't break any... Um, ...download caps or anything from an ISP... Mm-hmm. ...with all that... ...kind of amazes me.
1: Yeah, what also amazes me... is ...that he felt that he was well within the law... ...when he did this too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this... I I was hearing the size of his collection which I can't say that that's any larger than my collection. Actually, my collection's probably larger than that, although I don't have all those movies. I don't think I actually have any movies. Well, maybe half dozen or so. But um, given the size of his collection, I'm surprised that he got off as light as he did.
1: Yeah, it seems like the sentencing was pretty much uh, like reasonable. They wanted uh, one to two euros for the music, and 7 to 12 and 5 euros for the movies um, so it, I mean it looks like they just basically say well this is how much you would pay for it if you bought it and they charged them that
0: yeah well that's kind of why you can definitely tell this is in France because those people apparently seem to have a little bit of common sense whereas with the American system it's more based on willful infringement and stuff like you get the jammy Thomas that was find several million dollars for a dozen tracks or whatever
1: yeah that's insane um, this, but, uh, I, I, but you know ignorance of the laws is, is no excuse and uh, he thought apparently this all was free for him to download and the police thought differently um, so this is a good lesson for him I mean it's too much of jail that was suspended so he that's what time served or whatever, yeah. and um, and he just has to pay this off. And I bet he just, I mean, it's not, it's a huge amount of money, but it's not, you know, one point eight billion million dollars or some crap like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I'd say he got off pretty light, but yeah, I I I was kind of surprised when I heard that story, but I don't know. I'd say he got off lucky con- compared to even the Pirate Bay guys. So yeah. But
1: yeah, France—they have—it's not their culture. As long as they—he was pirating stuff that wasn't French—I think he was fine.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of peer-to-peer sites, a Spanish judge has, which Spain uh, recently ruled out imposing a three-strikes law, has apparently made the decision that um, sharing uh, copyrighted stuff between people and that's not for profit is apparently not breaking any copyright laws. And not only that, but peer-to-peer sites are to be presumed innocent just because they're merely linking to copyrighted material.
1: That is a novel idea. Innocent into proven guilty? Mm -hmm. Wow, we should get that over here.
0: Well, the big thing is that a lot of people, the RIAA, FP, MPAA, Breen, stuff like that, have been really pushing the idea of Linking to pirated content is just the same as um, violating copyright law, which is just completely stupid, because if that was the case, then Google wouldn't exist, Bing wouldn't exist, Ask Jeeves wouldn't exist, or pretty much any other search engine, or pretty much half the internet for that matter.
1: Right. It's like the street to any uh, evildoer or crime or perpetrator... Um, should be ripped off because the street facilitated them leaving their house.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It it's always been kind of a bogus argument and finally there's a judge that agrees with that.
1: Yeah, uh, this is a really good stance and unlike our, our uh, judicial system, this judge and the whole court seems very well-versed and educated on this subject and uh, came up with some good and valid arguments as to why... Um, just off the bat, they cannot be presumed guilty.
0: Yeah. It's kind of nice, the idea of um, being able to infringe on copyrights all I want as long as I'm not doing it for profit. I might just have to move to Spain now.
1: <laughs> well, yes, that's a lot different than here in the U.S., but um, I think also it also um, is a good deterrent for lawyers to try to bring up these lawsuits not knowing if they would win or lose just the fact to get an injunction uh, waiting for a court date
0: yeah well this will be interesting to see how this plays out in any future cases and how much leverage it'll have kind of curious to see how much influence it has on cases in other countries when people reference this case
1: but well it seems like uh, these cases might be um becoming less frequent because uh, according to the study teenagers are losing interest in illegal file sharing as streaming starts to flow.
0: Yeah, I can't say this surprised me too much. This is a study out of the UK saying that um, illegal file sharing, especially among teenagers, has dropped between, I guess dropped by a quarter between December 2007 and January 2009 and Especially among teens 14 to 18, at the earlier date, 42 percent said that they were file sharing at least once a month, at, and at the latter, the latter date, it's 26 percent said they were doing it a month. So that's almost cut in half. Not quite.
1: Yeah, I I know that I've personally, um, not that I ever pirated, but uh, have not had the. Urged the pirate ever since I would I was able to stream some of my shows through Hulu and Netflix um that I couldn't get otherwise
0: well one of the amaz- amazing things is that the UK doesn't even have Hulu yet I don't think they're supposed to get it until I believe September is when they're supposed to get Hulu so basically mm-hmm. this is going off of other sites what that work I'm I think like last FM works there like YouTube and I'm not sure what all streaming sites uh work over there, and I I know Yeah, I think
1: they mentioned uh, Scoach is another one that they mentioned.
0: Yeah, and I think the BBC does a lot of streaming of their content, too, which we can't stream any of the content here in the U.S., which sucks, but over there... Right, they they
1: have iPlayer there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, they pay for it through their taxes anyway, through their TV licenses.
0: Yeah. Well, I I was kind of just surprised at how much it, it dropped, and I'm even more interested to know how much it's going to drop once they do get Hulu there this fall I,
1: I, yeah and uh, if if Amazon buys Netflix I mean that also could uh, open up some international
0: streaming services too yeah this will be real interesting to watch I, I was kind of surprised by these figures but at the same time it makes a lot of sense I mean if I can stream something instantly that's more convenient than spending a half, 20 minutes, half an hour or whatever downloading something off a of BitTorrent but at the same time I find it more convenient to get off a of BitTorrent because then I can have I can watch whatever it is without commercials anywhere that I want instead of having to have the It plus production.
1: it, it plus it's easier to explain when you talk to someone they say hey I want to watch The Simpsons um, before, the only option was, okay, well, let me show you how to use a BitTorrent client, and this is how you find a torrent file, and this is how you get the, the pieces, and this is how you make sure your ports are open. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier just to say, well, if you go to Hulu and just do a search on The Simpsons, you can going to see it. Yeah. it. It's a lot easier to explain, so that easier message is definitely going to propagate more than that harder message because uh, there are other alternatives available.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to watch, even more so now that the Pirate Bay could end up being sold, which has been the other big story from the past week, or two weeks, I think, actually.
1: Yeah, but people look at these iconic sites, like the Pirate Bay, and figure if they take it down, then that's a a win for their side, Mm -hmm. Uh, but everybody knows that as long as there's still demand there's going to be someone else that can uh, that's going to take uh, take that flag and run with it.
0: Yeah. Well, when it comes to this statistic, I'm kind of wondering if the numbers aren't actually as low as they say they are and instead of using like an e-donkey or a BitTorrent or whatever or emule or whatever it's called this that they're going more to sneaker net uh, and just carrying stuff around on thumb drives and propagating it amongst their friends rather than actually having to go and download the stuff themselves. Cuz I know like around college campuses and stuff that that's a real prevalent thing is just doing it via sneaker net rather than everybody trying to download the same file.
1: Yeah, and just burn some CDs or DVDs or whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I that's one of the things i hate about these studies is it's interesting stuff but it's not really that comprehensive and it still leaves so many questions out there that could be major causes of some of this stuff that the studies never feel complete
1: yeah and i guess the the meat of the sample sample size and uh, how much experience these people have and 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 Uh, Whether the studies they've done, I mean, the lack of that information also makes it uh, less weighty.
0: Yeah. Well, and I cannot think of a good transition here. Anyway, for our next story, um, (laughs) apparently it's not a good idea to sue a website for being after you're assaulted by somebody you met from that website. This is one of those right. kind of makes sense. If this stories. carried
1: over to real life, then uh, most clubs, uh, as in uh, nightclubs, would be sued for meeting jerks there too.
0: Yeah, why they would, why people would sit here and sue the websites and stuff. This is primarily being around MySpace, and some girls that were sexually assaulted because of from guys, and the girls were between ages thirteen and fifteen from guys ages 18 to 25 that they met on MySpace. Well, it kinda makes sense that you can't do this. I mean, MySpace especially has really come under fire for for pedophiles and stuff that are on there as to where they're working with the Attorney Generals from just about every state, I believe, to make it one of the safest places they can, but even then you can't defend against everything so to sue them under the assumption that they can is just idiotic
1: yeah you can't legislate common sense. Um, you can't trust anyone uh, that you just don't know and even what level of com- uh, communication you've had with them um, if especially if you're coming through a setting like uh, MySpace, Uh, You don't meet someone alone. You don't... I mean, especially a female meeting another guy from the Internet. I mean, anything could happen and anyone could be... um, I mean, on the Internet, they don't know you're a dog. And on the Internet, they don't know you're a sexual predator. Um, So I think just common sense goes a long way.
0: Yeah. Well, a lot of people on sites like MySpace and on dating sites and stuff lie on their profiles. I don't know how many studies and statistics I've seen showing primarily on dating sites how much men and women and the the statistic on on whatever thing it is, age, weight, whatever varies by gender and stuff just how much they lie on these sites on these profiles so and if the statistics are that high that people are gonna lie it's and the sites can't do anything about that so to kinda expect something that what you see is what you get is kind of naive.
1: Yeah, and I wonder what the the parents think about this, saying, you know, a little bit of this is your fault too. I mean, it, it's horrible what happened to these girls. I mean, yeah. uh, don't get me wrong, but um, they have to take some responsibility about what they did. Uh, did their parent did they tell their parents, "Hey, I'm going to meet this older man I met off the internet"? No, they probably were going around their parents' back mm mm-hmm. uh, were they being totally honest with the uh, the person they were chatting with because apparently if you're fifth uh, on the website if you're 15 or younger your profile is set to private by default so how did they find these men mm-hmm. and so and, unless the men um, unless the men propose at one of their friends that they thought they knew and they invited them into their personal network um, so, I mean, there's a lot of bad choices that uh, led up to what happened, and um, to blame the website for something, uh, for for facilitating for people to go is the same, as I said before. It's just blaming, like, a, a club or a mall or any place where people congregate um, for what the people do in them.
0: Yeah. Well, the only way that they could really be held liable for something like this is if MySpace went, hired a bunch of perverts to put profiles on their websites, And meet these girls and sexually assault them that way, then they could be liable. But for something like this is totally stupid, and these girls are just a little need to learn how to take responsibility.
1: Yeah, they need to keep their eyes open and make sure they they're walking (laughs) on solid ground.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of girls that need to. Watch what they're doing and take responsibility for their actions. There was a girl that, a, um, ah, now I can't even think of where she was from now that I think about it. And I actually, and I, St- Staten Island. Yeah, from Staten Island. 15 year old girl walking along the street, texting, not paying the least bit of attention to where she's walking or anything, falls right down into a manhole.
1: Cute Tiny Tunes music.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently. There were some guys that were supposed to be cleaning out the sewer area around the manhole, and they left the manhole uncovered while they went to go retrieve some uh, construction cones to put around it to warn people. Which, yeah, that's kind of their fault for leaving it unattended and open like that, to where it kind of makes sense that if that was the only issue here, it would make sense that the girl and the parents are looking into suing the city but if you're so distracted by your cell phone and you're texting that you can't see this great big hole in the middle of the sidewalk, not the same color of the sidewalk or anything else, just this big black hole and walk right into it, that's kind of your own fault.
1: Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where you have to pay attention to your surroundings. Um, th- there could have been anything there. Um, that you just watch where you walk. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to say that it's just simple common sense. You watch where you walk. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even if you're texting while you're walking, because I've done that before, Mm -hmm. but you look ahead, you see what's ahead of you, then you do a couple of taps, you look ahead again, and you keep going back and forth. If you're so engrossed, into your phone and text messaging, then that's just a problem waiting to happen.
0: Yeah, I know I've heard of and seen people that are busy texting or whatever and then walk right into a light pole or something like that. But, I mean, there's getting to be states, apparently in 2008, Illinois proposed legislation that would make it illegal to text while walking. Not only text while driving, but text while walking. And And you know this is going to give them more ammunition to try and push something like this through.
1: Yeah. Uh, I wasn't texting. I was video chatting or I was uploading some pictures. Uh, you can do anything you you want and you can still be distracted. Uh, as I said before, you can't legislate common sense. Um, and I uh, it's sad to say, but if you don't watch where you walk, you could walk into a manhole cover.
0: Yeah.
1: It's It's just that simple.
0: Yeah. Well, even the People that the legislation here in Colorado, as far as I as far as I know, the governor signed it. Where it's starting in at the end of the year or whatever, it'll be illegal to text while driving. Which there's one exception, and it makes no very little sense to me. You're exempt from the law if you have a ham radio license. Then you can text while you Ugh. drive.
1: Maybe that's saying you have some sort of level of coordination?
0: I guess. I, I, don't, I don't know what that would be about unless you're like doing some kind of a mobile emergency broadcasting kind of thing from your car or something like that. I don't know, but it's tough. it makes me want to go out and actually try and get one of those licenses just to – that way I can continue to text while I drive, not that I do that anyway. I've, I've done it. A- Maybe they should do that. Yeah.
1: Maybe they should just, uh, have you take an IQ test and then depending on what you score it allows you to uh, some laws don't apply to you after that.
0: Well I've firmly believed in that for a long time anyway. Um, I think that, especially when it comes to old people around here, I've always thought we needed to have some kind of test. Once you hit the age of 60, have an annual or every other year test to test your driving. If you fail, your license is gone. Mm-hmm. Just because the old people around here are so horrible at driving, that I mean, I work for a towing company, and a very large percentage of the accidents that we get are old people. I mean, I uh,
1: Well, a large per- percentage of of uh, bad drivers here in Austin come in all shapes and colors.
0: Yeah. Well, we get quite a bit of that too, but I, I would say that two thirds of them are. Pr- or at least more than half are generally people over 55 at least half and the like teenagers and stuff that's maybe a quarter of what we get and since they're the ones that have the problem with texting i'm not sure texting is really the issue but anyway
1: yeah phones don't kill people keep people kill people
0: yeah, people and people being stupid. I don't know. That, that's one of the things I've been tweeting about lately. I wish we had a law that we can hunt the stupid people. Give us the ability to weed out the idiots. Let survival of the fittest take over, and we'll all benefit from it.
1: Yep. Let them. Let's let's pick them off.
0: Yeah, I completely agree.
1: Let's leave. Let's leave all the manhole covers covers open. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, a lot of people are stealing them for scrap metal anyway, so... Although I don't think it's too bad now that scrap prices are down. But when they were up really high, people were stealing manhole covers left and right. Yeah. But, anyway... I guess that's all of our shows. We don't have anything... I mean, all of our stories. We don't have anything else here, do we? No. Okay, I didn't want to... I wanted to make sure I didn't skip any more stories. Uh. But... Anyway...
1: I'll take you to task if you did.
0: Yeah. Well, for those that <laughs> want to read more on our stories, as we did leave a lot out, and there are some cool details on some of these stories, especially if you want to look more into, like, Chegg and stuff like that, you can always check out the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. Check them out, read them, and don't forget to leave your comments on the show, stories stories that we talked about, whatever, in the comments for the show. Or you can always shoot me an email, pcnerd37, at globalgeeknews.com. Or you can tweet me, at pcnerd37. Or there's about a million other ways to get a hold of me, but those are probably the best ways. Um, Speaking of which, people can get a hold of you at Wesley83 on Twitter.
1: Yes, or you can come to Austin, Texas and shake my hand in person. Either way, whatever's more convenient.
0: And now that we got all the perverts headed to your house... um, (laughs) Yeah... Well, I don't know. I guess you can probably come here and meet me. I don't know. Contact me first. Let's make this a little bit more organized and safe. Then maybe I'll Yeah, chat with
1: me on MySpace.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which I think there is a I actually have Global Geek News on MySpace, but I've never done anything with it. So if you happen to find it and there's nothing there, that's why. But you win. Yeah. Uh one quick thing, did want to mention, should have mentioned it earlier, about the blog. Um, kind of changing the way I'm doing things. I've, I'm kind of going back and forth on whether I want to post lots of small bits of news or my long posts and kill the small news entirely and then just do my Geek News Daily podcast and bring that back. Which, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. If you have any thoughts on that, shoot me an email or put something in the comments of the show, whatever, or tweet me or whatever. I'm looking for feedback on what the best opinion is, but most of my short news and stuff I do for TechV, which T-E-C-H-V-I dot com. Check that out. Awesome show over there. Lots of fresh news all the time. That's where I do... I write... I post more there than I do any of all of my blogs combined, so uh, check that out. And I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, just give me your feedback on that, and that's all we have for this week. Don't forget to check out back next week. We're thinking about finding a nice guest for next week, possibly one you've heard before. So, anyway, we will see you guys next week. Later.
1: All right,